You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. And so we are looking at 2 Peter. We're looking at verses 1 to 11. 1 to 11. And I'll ask, can I ask Pastor Joe to go ahead and read that for us? 1 to 11. Yeah. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second. 1 to 11. Correct. Good. There we go. All right. Uh, beginning in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if ye practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray with me. Pray with me, would you please? Father God, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for being gathered here as your body. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. We ask that you would speak to us and let us leave this place transformed by your word. We thank you for all that you're doing for us, and we thank you mostly for our salvation. We thank you that you went to the cross and paid the price that we could never pay. We ask you to use this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So with almost 100% certainty, uh, this letter is being written to a non-Christian audience, a uh, a non-Jewish audience, a non-Jewish audience. Um, They are Christ followers. And when I prepare messages, I like to make sure that I'm looking at both the Old and New Testament. We can't just take one book or one passage and say this is the message because the message is the entire message of the Bible. It's consistent, it points to Christ, and it points to our salvation always. So in looking at that, I want to I take a, a more global view of what, what the passages mean to us. Um, First Peter, by contrast, has a lot of messages that relate to the Old Testament. Uh, Second Peter doesn't have a lot of information that he takes directly from the Old Testament. Um, 
They're both books, First and Second Peter, in perfect harmony with the rest of the Bible. Um, many people often see Jude and this book as very close parallels. There's a lot of similarities. Um, and whenever you study, whenever you meditate on any of the books of the Bible, um, you'll find everything points to Christ. Every passage, every point, every circumstance ultimately points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that's why it's so important that we have a healthy biblical teaching. Um, I treasure that when I come back getting to hear good sermons, and uh, it's something that you can pray for for in Brazil again. Um, if we can look at the next slide there. At the end of our verses that we just read, you'll see uh, in verse uh, 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, there is no other entrance provided to Christ's kingdom apart from the one he himself provided as a permanent payment for our sins. Um, remember, this letter's really written to non, a non-Jewish uh, audience. So imagine that I stand here speaking to you about things you have no idea about and using terms you don't know. It's, it's really meaningless. So Peter, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, speaks to these people in a way that they're going to understand. Um, it's really unique because he uses pagan ideas throughout the, the book to speak to them, to give them knowledge so that they will be encouraged to continue in their faith. Um, again, when you find authors that are speaking to Jewish audiences, you'll find references, and they're great to look for. It's really a great idea to go dig down and see how they're speaking to their first audiences. Um, following Christ's example as a global missionary, or even here for you, um, we're taught to think of others first. We're taught to speak to others in a way that they'll understand. Knowledge is useless unless the person that you're speaking to can understand and assimilate it. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not able to transmit that in a way that people understand, uh, it really just goes right by them. And that's something that this letter is precious for doing, is speaking to people in a way that they can absorb, they can understand, and they listen. Um, at the same time that Simon Peter writes, there's a lot of false teachings. Um, we don't ha have time to get into all those, um, but there's also a mix of mostly Gentile with Jewish followers that Peter writes to here. They certainly felt the pressure of these worldly ideas and beliefs going on outside of the church, and that was very difficult on them. Uh, they were going against the tide, and that's basically what our Christian lives represent, is we're going against the world. We're living in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen? So uh, knowing something about that culture helps us understand this message. Uh, and then our next slide, Simon Peter begins in chapter 1, verse 1. He uses, this is really fascinating, he uses both his Jewish and his Greek name. Uh, Simon, his Hebrew name, and Peter, his Greek name. Uh, from the first two words of the book, it's clear that this is Simon Barjona that we find in Matthew 16, 17. He's the fisherman from Galilee and the apostle of Christ. Um, in using both his Jewish and Greek name, uh, he makes clear that neither Jew nor Greek has superiority. Uh, neither is higher ranking in God's kingdom. Uh, they're both made equal by Christ's sacrifice. So the struggle with who is superior, Jew or Greek, even among the believers at this time, it's difficult for people to put aside. 
Uh, it's human nature, right? We all want to be better, a little bit better than the other one. Um, so equality across backgrounds and nationalities is unheard of outside Christianity. Uh, the cultures of the day are completely unfamiliar with being united in anything, especially Christ. Uh, this is part of why Peter begins this book in verse 1, pointing to a faith of equal standing. It's the righteousness of Christ for all and nothing of any human doing that restores our broken relationship with our Creator. Uh, in other words, there's no second-class citizens in Christianity. Amen? Uh, Peter's opening prayer shows the importance Peter places on knowing Christ and being found living holy lives for these early believers. And then in verse 2, uh, next slide, we identify Peter's opening prayer. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, he prays, Peter prays an identical prayer in the book of 1 Peter. And the apostle Paul also prays the same way. Uh, in fact, Paul's greatest ambition was to know Christ more. Uh, look at what he says in Philippians 3.8. If we can pull that slide up. Philippians 3.8. Yet indeed, I, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So um, reading and studying scripture, we find amazingly that the people who are closest to Christ, their ambition is to want to know him more. The closer you are to Christ, the, closer, the more you want to know about him. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit pulling us closer to be more like the Lord Jesus. Um, in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, we'll take a look at that very quickly. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. <laughs> Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through what? Through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So Peter's reminding the reader of the grant, the gift the believer's been given in all things, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. This is really one of those direct responses to the pagans of the time. Uh, notice how a grant is something very different than something earned, right? Peter wants to make clear it's God's own divine power responsible for the grant. Uh, that is to say both the knowledge and the promises of Christ. Uh, so remember, at the time, the belief was Christ was not divine, he had no power. These verses would be in exact opposition to that line of thinking, uh, Gnosticism. We don't have time to get into it, but uh, one of the, and the other is Eucarianism. Uh, very secular thinking, very worldly thinking, and totally against what the gospel teaches. So can you imagine the controversy as Peter records in verse 4 that we become partakers of the divine nature? I mean, this is just smack dab in the face of everything that they're hearing around them. And they're fighting. These Christians are fighting for their faith. They are trying to remain faithful, but they're being oppressed on every side. Um, the, the verses that we read here are really daring verses talking about partaking of the divine nature, uh, even today. Uh, but Peter's using this subtle language, uh, uncommon in the New Testament, we don't find this language other places, but full of meaning in the pagan world. Uh, the false teachers placed all their emphasis on knowledge, 
So Peter stresses that the object of knowledge in our Christian life is the Lord who calls men. So the early Christian world thought that knowledge did away with the need for morality. You have knowledge, you're okay. They thought that holiness of living was impossible. So Peter speaks to them of Christ's divine power to transform lives and take on the cross living for Christ. To repent, believe, and be baptized into Christ is to enter into a totally new relationship with God. Uh, where he becomes our father, our sustainer, our wisdom, our, sa- our savior, uh, and we're members of his family. It's in that sense that Peter rightly claims that believers are already partakers of the divine nature. So then our next uh, slide here, turning to verse 5, Peter shifts his attention. So we have this first, what we just read, now we're going to shift. That's what God's doing. That's what God's given you. That's who God is. That's what your relationship is. That's what you can attain. Now you... He's going to talk about you, verse, uh, verse 5. The responsibility and the response on the part of the believer is really a declaration and a plea that Peter gives. He says, because of this, because of all this I just told you, uh, or your version might read for this very reason, uh, do what, Christians? What, do you, what are you supposed to do? And verses 5 through 7, they've been called the ladder of faith. That's kind of a common name that they're given in, in theology. We don't have time to go through each, each verse, uh, virtue listed. It would be a whole other sermon. Uh, but we can say in summary, because of our new birth and because of the precious promises and the divine power offered us in Christ, we can't just sit back and rest, be content not sharing our knowledge. Uh, Each virtue listed builds to the love God displayed on the cross and to us becoming more like Christ in his grace and power. Um, So the grace of God demands, as it enables, effort in man to bring this relationship every ounce of determination to live pleasing lives, knowing that we fight both our own flesh and we have spiritual battles that come against us. A very real enemy that we're fighting. Uh, The people of that day truly believed that knowledge did away with the need for morality. You have knowledge, you don't need to live a moral life. We know from Scripture that nothing more different could be true. Uh, The Lord Jesus is all about love and living holy lives. Love is the key really to unlocking everything God wants us to know about himself because everything God does is driven And it's motivated by his pure, unselfish, divine love. Hear that, my brothers and sisters. Everything God does is motivated by his pure, divine, unselfish love. That is the core of Christianity. Uh, Applying knowledge without having any brotherly affection uh, has prevented a lot of great men with a lot of knowledge about God from pleasing him and living for him. So let's look at verses 8 through 11. We're going to try to roll through this quickly. Um, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about uh, being diligent to confirm your calling. Um, So I really feel like Peter could have stopped after verse 8 and just left us contemplating the frightening possibility of being ineffective or unfruitful in our ministries. without knowledge of Christ. And I think Peter's making a good argument here against false teachers and against a false gospel. Um, Lack of spiritual growth is spiritual death. And lack of effort by the Christ follower 
resulting in fruitless living is, I would say it's something like wheat uh, choked by the weeds. You know, you have good wheat, everybody knows good wheat here, <laughs> and, and, and the weeds are just choking it out. Uh, and, and those weeds, we can say, are the riches and the pleasures of this life. Uh, they can sometimes choke out our, our ability to see the eternal. Look at uh, verse 9 with me in the next slide. How can someone, this is a good question, I don't know if you caught this <clears throat> when we read the verse, how can someone be so nearsighted he's blind? Wouldn't being nearsighted mean a person is not blind? Follow along, listen. I agree completely with what Peter's saying, and it, it took me some time to really unravel that, but um, what he's saying is these ones without fruitful and effective knowing of Christ are unable to see heavenly treasures. So all they're looking at is what is of value, what's of status, wealth, material issues that are in front of them. And the nearsightedness comes to the point of eternal blindness. All they see is the, is the worldly stuff. Um, in light of these immoral and false teachers, the illustration makes really good sense, and, and it, it really defines how some Christians live their lives. Uh, next slide, verse 10 is, call, is a call to reason. So again, because of everything I just wrote, be more diligent, not just diligent, be more diligent to confirm your calling and election. And Peter adds, if you do this, you can never fall. Never fall. Man, I mean, how dear is that to our hearts? To never be able to fall if you do this. So there's the instructions. Never, never, never quit doing this. Be more diligent. You'll never fall. I mean, I love how our Lord Jesus gives us instructions how to live. <laughs> All we need to do is take hold of them and, and live them out. Um, and then, uh, really, it's, it's a divinely inspired promise through the apostle. And then verse 11. We're going to try to wrap up very quickly here. Um, for in this way, there will richly be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. So despite the amount of emphasis Peter's been placing on the need for growth, perseverance, and effort in the Christian life, those concluding verses really make it clear that final salvation is not our achievement. It's not man's achievement, but it's the gift of God's lavish generosity through his love. Um, so there is this tension between the New Testament uh, and what we've been given now, and what we still have coming. Uh, there's a tension. We're promised a rich entrance, the idea of being welcomed and really celebrated and rewarded in the future eternal kingdom that belongs alone to our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, along with this tension of still being diligent in doing more, diligent in following your, your calling and following the Lord Jesus in this life. Um, if we go to the very end of this book, when I bring up that slide, we go to 2 Peter 3.18, and again, he kind of bookmarks this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> here's, here's what I find really um, amazing about this powerful testimony of God's grace and forgiveness, is that Peter, who denied knowing Christ three times, is giving us the entire uh, uh, fullness of the knowledge, knowing Christ, of, of following his footsteps and being closer to him. I find that so comforting because um, 
we know that God's love surpasses anything that we can do. Any, any sin that we commit, God covers as long as we're quick to repent, as long as we're quick to come back and say, no, Lord, I know that was a mistake. Help me. Uh, this is evidence of it, okay? Um, Peter gives his first audience, and he gives us today reassurance that our goal isn't perfection. We are not put on earth to be perfect. Uh, only Christ is perfect. Our goal is increasing obedience through fruitful, effective use of the knowledge and hope that we're given in Jesus Christ. Uh, false teachings are with us today as they were at the time this book was written. Uh, what we have, I think, that the early Christians didn't have is the knowledge and eyewitness seeing how the apostles lived and gave their lives. Uh, nobody dies for a lie. Nobody gives their life for something that isn't true. And uh, no one lives with one purpose who has not been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Um, I think there's a really vital danger that we're aware of today and that we um, really stir one another to realize. And uh, it happens to many sitting on one side or another where the full gospel is preached. Um, and they still believe this to their own destruction. So the warning, stay with me, the warning that Peter's just given the believers in our text about being ineffective and unfruitful is just this. So it's not, this, what I'm going to tell you is not my idea. This is what the gospel teaches, and this is what Peter just got through saying. There's many sitting in churches across the world that have a partial gospel. What's a partial gospel? It's the gospel of saved and safe. Saved is only part of the gospel. The full gospel, like the apostles Peter we just studied, believed that the full gospel is the saved and sent gospel. As we open, I challenged you with two questions. What kind of knowledge are you known as having? And then we can conclude from the text that we just read, do you have an effective and a fruitful knowledge of Jesus Christ, and are you impacting those without the knowledge of Christ, your brothers and sisters, your community, your world? Does your knowing the Lord include sharing your knowledge? So um, we're done, and I'll close this in prayer. But my prayer for you is that you continue in your ministry here. Um, Regina and I are not professionals. We're, we're not here so that churches across the world who, or country who support us don't have any ministry, we're with you. We're part of your ministry. We're one arm of your ministry. Your ministry is here. Your ministry is to the people that you work with, the people that you serve with, and your brothers and sisters. So may I just encourage you to continue in your ministry. Don't be discouraged. Know that the Lord Jesus' love for you is surpassing any enemy that you face. And the fact that you have this fellowship here, this beautiful, wonderful uh, oasis where God has put you together, is a blessing and confirmation from him that he loves you and he'll never leave you. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for your eternal salvation. We're so grateful that you rescued us when we were unrescuable. You came after us when we were lost. You gave us your love. You gave us your life. And now you've called us into a kingdom for eternity. The people that we sit with here today, many of them, we will spend eternity with. And for the ones who have never accepted your name, Lord, I, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in their hearts, 
that you would show them the incredible love that you have for them, the incredible love that you have for your creation, that you would lay down your life and that you would give us the knowledge of why you did that in detail, as in this beautiful book that we just studied from. Lord, I, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers me to preach, empowers me to have wisdom of you. I pray that you would increase it in myself, in my wife, and in everyone here. I pray your blessing upon this church. I ask you to continue to use her for your glory. And I pray that we would be gathered again together soon for glorify, to glorify your name in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.